Hi, and welcome to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message, where we study scripture together verse by verse. Let's jump in now for this week's message. But sin blinds us. Sin blinds us so that it it even makes us think, I can do this sin and it's going to be good. We can splash in our septic tank and say, for the glory of God. And we're like, the rest of the world who knows us is like, you're a moron. Right? I want obedience to God because obedience leads to a glorious and righteous life. I don't want sin polluting my God-given, God-glorifying life. Does that make sense? We're moving on. Verse 17. Thank God I like Paul here. You know he's standing on the chair, writing with a four-inch paintbrush in dark, bold letters. Thank God! Once you were slaves to sin, but now you wholeheartedly, everybody say wholeheartedly, obey this teaching we have given you. That word wholeheartedly is important to the meaning of our text. Verse 18, he says, now you are free from your slavery to sin. That's wonderful. And you have become slaves to righteous living. Really, Paul kind of messes things up here. Watch this. He has separated the Old Testament law from obedience to God. I mean, we're really good about, you got to obey the law, got to obey the law. The law gives us directions, tells us what we do and what we don't do. Got to obey the law. Keep the law, keep the law. We already went through this in Romans, that there was good and bad, obedience and disobedience to God thousands of years before there was a law. So you see this morality of God, I'm going to call it holiness right now because that's where we're going later. This holiness of God existed before Moses and the law of Moses. So fitting into the character and the nature and the holiness of God and the morality of God was God's plan even before the Ten Commandments. That's why, oh, that's why Paul separates the Old Testament from obedience to God here. Obedience here is to this teaching we have given you. And Paul hasn't explained that teaching yet. And so now I hope you feel very anxious about it. Let's stick a pin in this idea. We'll come back to it another day and another part of Romans, maybe next week or the week after that. The issue at hand here in this text is the practical application of being a slave to righteousness, a slave to righteousness. We need to be abundantly clear here. Paul is speaking to those who are no longer slaves to sin. These are people who have put in their fit, put their put in, Putting their faith, that's not right. Who have put their faith in God. Believe it or not, I tutored English whenever I was in college. Those poor people probably all failed. (laughs) Paul is speaking to those who are no longer slaves to sin. They have put their faith in God. They have, pardon me, they have wholeheartedly obeyed this teaching that we've given you. Those who continue to be slaves of sin will have a completely different perspective than what Paul's going to present here. I about blew a lung singing Amazing Grace a while ago. So if my battery doesn't go out, I may lose my voice. Who knows? But my chains are gone. I've been set free. I can't do it anymore. 
Paul is speaking to those who are no longer slaves to sin, who have wholeheartedly obeying the teachings that Paul has given them. Those who continue to, sit, to be slaves to sin will, will have a completely different perspective. They are happy. They are as happy as a pig in the mud. They do not desire righteous living. Paul is writing to the redeemed. He's telling them, you're no longer a slave to sin. You're a slave to what? Righteousness. You have something in you that says, I want to do what is right and good for the glory of God. Those who are still living in sin, they don't have that perspective. They're asking, how many times can I sin? I like the awkward silence. Because even since I started Romans, people have come to me and said, well, we're just saved by faith, so now we're all good. We'll just, why do we come to church anymore? Because you want to. Because it's in your heart. Paul is speaking to those who have placed their faith in God to the degree that they want to live to honor him instead of themselves. Because of that faith in God, we are set free from the control of sin, resulting in our desire for righteousness that leads to life. Why would I want to be enslaved to righteousness? Because it leads to life. Isn't that cool? A desire for righteousness that controls. We, we submit our lives to Christ and then he puts a desire in our hearts that controls our thoughts, our actions, and our attitudes. This is kind of how enslaved to righteous living may look. This is how I envision it, okay? So turn your imagination on with me for a second and think honestly. Do you enjoy relationships in which the other person treats you with honor, respect, and consideration? I know some of you are messed up in the head, so you're like, no, I like it whenever he hits me. No, you don't. Stop it. We like relationships where there's mutual respect and honor and consideration. Do you enjoy relationships when the other person lies to you or is proud or always talks about themselves or is inconsiderate of your opinion? <laughs> Y'all are like, wait, it's a trick question. I don't know. I don't know what I like. I don't know what kind of relationship I like. You don't like someone to lie to you. Come on. You don't like to be around proud people. That's a bad relationship. In order for you to enjoy relationships in your life, watch this. Because some of you are going to be like, wow, Brent's a genius. And I'm not. I just read the text. In order for you to enjoy relationships in your life. Because some of you are like, oh, everybody in my life is miserable. Listen carefully. In order for you to enjoy relationships in your life, marriage, children, bosses, coworkers, employees, fellow church members, you must be a slave to righteousness. Why do we use the strong word slave? Because there's that moment that you want to step away from righteousness and give someone a piece of your mind. And as a slave to righteousness, you are bound to do what is good not what you want to do. Because sometimes what we want to do is not what is good. 
You must be a slave to righteousness if you're going to have good relationships in life. Because when you are a slave to righteousness, you will treat others with honor, respect, and consideration. You will not allow lies, pride, selfishness, or any other sin to sneak in and pollute your relationships. Because sin, sin absolutely every time will suck the life and the joy out of your relationships. Well, Brent, this one time, I need to do this, do this, do this, and it's gonna make my relationship better. You cannot put septic water in your bathtub and make it cleaner. It doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. Sin every time will mess up your life including your relationship with God. So we don't come to God and nonchalantly say, oh, I'm going to try to live for God, but I'm not going to be a slave to righteousness. I mean, we're not going to be a fanatic like Brent's crazy what he's proposing, that whenever we're presented with the opportunity to, you know, let everybody know that we're right and scream at them or be patient and graceful and kind, I might want to just tell everybody how right I am. Does that make sense? I don't want to be a slave to righteousness. Sometimes I want to step away from the righteousness of God and do some heathen things because I like that. And Paul says, no, you're a slave to righteousness. How much sin do you want in your relationships polluting your life? How much sin do you want? That is a trick question because we'll say, oh no, I don't want any sin. But then we go out and what do we do? We sin against the people that we love the most. And then we say, well, why is the relationship broken? We make ourselves slaves to righteousness, pushing hard against sin when it attempts to come into our lives. Then, as we push against sin, as we make ourselves slaves to righteousness, then our bodies are instruments for the glory of God. That's kind of cool, huh? God did that. He's uh, very practical. Are you with me? But Brent... I like a little sin every once in a while. And stop looking at me like I'm the only one that feels that way. Y'all are making me feel very uncomfortable. Number two, it's like Brent likes to sin. I'm, I'm not answering this altar call. Number two, enslaved to holy living. Holy living, set apart living. Here we go, Romans chapter, 19, verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 19. We'll get there in a second. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm reading through this and I'm thinking, this is just so countercultural because we are so arrogant. I'm a man, I can do anything. Paul comes along and he says, listen, I'm using very simplistic words because you are weak. Because of your weak, the weakness of your human nature, I am using the illustration of slavery to help you understand this elementary principle. I might have added some words there. Previously, you let yourselves, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Because that's what sin does, church. Get that in your brain. That's what sin does. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. Watch what Paul's doing here. He's contrasting our weak human nature with the holy nature of God. Mm -hmm. 
Paul is contrasting our being enslaved to impurity and lawlessness with being set apart from the world and set apart to the holiness of God. Because that word holy always is two parts. It's set apart from and set apart to. He doesn't take us out of the world to leave us in a vacuum. He takes us out of the world to put us into the kingdom of God. Are you with me? Holy has two parts to it. Keep that in mind. We're out of the world into the kingdom, out of the water into eternal life. It's a baptism reference. I don't know if y'all eat pickles or not, but you're with me? Get that contrast in your brain. Impurity as opposed to righteousness. Lawless and sin-filled as opposed to holy. Lawless and sin-filled as opposed to holy, set apart to God. Now, there's a, the law of inertia applies here. Paul kind of introduces it, I think, unintentionally. Uh, do y'all remember the law of inertia? Do y'all remember physics? Way back for some of us back when they were just making the laws of physics. Uh, the law of inertia is that a body in motion will continue in the same direction unless there's another force that opposes it or changes, it, right? So if you throw a ball, right, it continues in the same direction unless somebody slaps the ball. You never throw a ball in the air and it's going this way and then all of a sudden it darts 90 degrees. Not unless something another force, okay? So inertia, you start in a direction, you will continue in that direction. Previously, you allowed sin to enslave you, and then Paul says leading, this is an important word, leading you to what? Deeper sin. Once you start in the, the direction of sin, guess what? It leads you to righteousness. No! Once you start in the direction of sin, it leads you into more sin, into deeper sin. You will continue in that direction. Now, now, Paul says, you submit to being slaves to righteousness, to righteous living, which leads, there's our inertia, to holy living or sanctified, set apart for eternal purpose type of living. Does that make sense? Once you start in that direction, it tends to snowball, tends to keep going in that direction. When you start with sin, we always do this. It's a little sin. It's a white lie. It's a small thing. It's no big deal. But once we start in that direction, we tend to move in that direction until there's some other force that stops us. I've seen it happen in people's lives over the years, and it's a sad thing to observe because, in my opinion, people should know better, right? As good Christians, we like to point out those that should know better, but they don't for whatever reason. It's true in either direction. They start off with a little sin. One little sin enters the equation in relationships. And then because there's one sin, there's nothing like having a sin by itself, so we have to add another sin, right? That person didn't say hi to me, so I'm not going to say hi to them. I don't like the way they looked at me, so now I'm not going to look at them, right? I'm only my relationship? Okay. I'm the only sinner here this morning. So it's one sin, then another, and then their entire life is a disaster, and they come to the church saying something to the effect of, I don't know what happened. <laughs> Inertia happens, sweetheart. Once you start down the road of sin, 
it will lead you down the road of sin. Isn't that ingenious? Google it. That's exactly Google Maps. Once you start... I can tell you what happened. I can tell you. Listen carefully because some of you are going to recognize this. You didn't prioritize being at church and having Christian friendships. Well, Brent, that's not one of the Ten Commandments. No, it's not. You didn't read your Bible. I didn't know we had to read our Bible. I thought we just had faith. Now we're saved. And I'm all good. I can just do whatever I want to do. No. If you want to know God, you got to read your Bible. That's why we do soap. You flirted with sin. Maybe you even participated in sin. You made small, seemingly insignificant choices in a certain direction. And because you thought that was what you wanted, you continued down that road. You continued in that direction. Now you've messed up your family. Years ago, there was a family in our church and their teenage daughter was just kind of being silly, being stupid, uh, but did some things that the church would have said is terribly bad. Uh, it was so repairable. Whole family got out of church. Family breaks apart over a moment's stupidity in a teenage girl. That's not the way the kingdom of God works. Not at all. Once we, because it's, it's, there's a sin, so now we have to hide our sin. Now we don't want to go to church because everybody knows that we're sinners unless you come to Desert Heights and then you know that I'm the sinner. Uh, so please join me in being a sinner with me among all these evidently perfect people. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Okay. <clears throat> Others, on the other hand, you have others who, I, I'm uh, currently intrigued with people who bravely attend a church that they've never been to before. Because it's weird to come into a place that you don't know everybody, and you think that the pastor's probably going to tell you that you're the sinner, right? Because you haven't been to church. So others say, I'm going to bravely go to church where there's Christian people. They start reading their Bible. They start using soap. Hallelujah. If you don't know what soap is, let me know after service. I'll explain it. Then they come even on a Wednesday evening and they learn and they grow in their understanding of God's grace and they meet other people who are headed in the same direction as they are and those other people are concerned for them and now there's this sense of community where we're gonna serve God together and there's strength and there's glory in it. When you choose to sin or you choose to honor God, you point your life in a direction. You become a slave to that direction. That's the truth. Now, listen carefully. The only, because some of you are like, well, and I can, I can choose to sin and then I'll just choose to follow God. It's no big deal. I can go back and forth, back and forth. It's no big deal. Listen carefully. The only way that you will sustain a life of honoring God is if you truly believe that God is God over all of your life and you enslave yourself to his righteousness. Because if you never believe in him as God, you'll never enslave yourself to him as master. You won't do it. Because always in the back of your mind will be, I'm smarter than God. 
So I know what God would do in this situation, but I think I'm more right. So we don't, so we say, I'm not gonna be a slave to, to God's righteousness. Does that make any sense whatsoever? I like the way you're looking at me. Now watch how this progresses. Uh, number three, enslaved for God's free gift. Oh, I just got your attention. Free gift? Wait, what are we doing? Coffee? It's free coffee? All right, I'm in. What are we doing? Enslaved for God's free gift. Romans chapter six, verse 20. 23 is where we're going. Engage your brain. We're coming toward the end. Verse 20. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. Picture that for a second. When you're living in sin, you're like, I could do right, but I don't really have to do what is right. No big deal. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You are now, watch this. What was the result of you living as a slave to sin? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. Things that end in eternal doom. See, when we take that first step towards sin, it's like it's not a big deal. But then Paul goes on, like now you look back and you can see that when you're enslaved to sin and you took that little step and you started your life in a direction, first of all, you did things that now you're ashamed of. Don't raise your hands, please. This is a bad time. Don't. Some of you are like, that was me. No, no, just keep it calm. We look back and we're like, oh, I'm ashamed I did that. How dumb was that? But the bigger issue while we're starting into sin and, oh, I'm ashamed of that, the bigger issue is that it ends in eternal doom. That is a big deal. I like the way you're looking at me. Verse 22, but now, but now, here's the contrast. You are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in what? Eternal life, not doom, eternal life. Now that makes sense. And then this is a verse that we always just pull out of Romans and quote it, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. When, uh, when I came to faith in God, my inspiration for living changed. When I came to faith in God, my inspiration for living changed. Before, I felt no obligation to do what was right. I was controlled by the immediate gratification, by immediate gratification, and by selfish desire, which led to things that now, Paul says, I am ashamed. And I think we can relate. Do you follow that? That, that really is an absolute spiritual law. That you will do sinful things, and then later on you'll look back and say, wow, why did I do that? That was dumb. But now, because of faith in God, I am free from the power of sin, and because of the goodness of God, because of the goodness and grace of God, now I submit myself, I submit my will, I submit my desires to be enslaved by God, by the God of grace. Why do I like being enslaved to the God of grace? Because I know Brent. And he's going to mess up from time to time. And I can say, God, I'm going to give myself 100% to you. And God says, 
okay, sure, Brett. And whenever I fail, he says, it's okay. Because he's the God of grace. He's the God of forgiveness. He's the God of redemption. He's the God of salvation. He's the God of adoption and transformation. He is the God of righteous living and eternal life. That's who we make ourselves a slave to. That seems like a good thing, right? If you're going to hitch your wagon to something moving, hitch it to God. There's a reason that I'd, uh, that I'd give up being enslaved to sin because now I am free to become a slave to God. Now I'm free to do those things that lead to holiness, a good life now, holy, healthy relationships, a God-glorifying life. I'm going to pause here just for a second because I have, I have a thought. Serving God is very practical. When we surrender ourselves to be enslaved by the righteousness of God, it will make your marriage better. It'll make every relationship in your life better. God set it up that way. Now, are some people going to push back and not like that we're servants of God? Absolutely. Are some people going to say you're weak because you've enslaved yourself to God? You've turned your brain off and you just read the Bible and it's an ancient document. And so there's going to be people, be people who belittle you. But over the long haul, the character of God wins. We win. That's what makes Christianity attractive is whenever people outside of the church look at the church and say, wow, they have great marriages and they have great families. And when they get together, they like each other. They're not yelling at each other. The stereotype of churches fighting is just horrible, in my opinion. Uh, I have no idea where I'm at in my notes, so I'm going to start over again. There's a reason, <laughs> not at the beginning, there's a reason that I'd give up being enslaved to sin, because now I'm free to become a slave to God. I'm free to participate in God's holiness, a life that is good now, healthy relationships, a God-glorifying life, a life that eventually leads to God's free gift, eternal life through Christ Jesus. Get that? Oh, yeah. Our slave master, see, we don't like the idea of slavery because there's somebody over us telling us what to do. But in the snapshot of salvation, our slave master comes and died and he rose again for you, so that you can have eternal life along with an eternal God. He did that for you. That's our taskmaster. I'm going to save you by the blood of my own son. I'm going to redeem you and bring you into a right life, a glorious life. I'm going to give you the best that I have. Hmm. Sin is work. It's work for a wage, right? The wages of sin is what? Death. You'll strain against sin. You will live a life of banging your head up against the wall. And sin will reward you with your payment of death. Eternal life. Eternal life is God's gift. He gives it to us. It's free. It's paid for by God. It's a free gift from God that I will surrender myself if God's going to give me eternal life, I will give him everything I've got, which isn't a whole lot. I will enslave myself to God's righteousness and God's holiness because what God has to give to me is so much greater 
than what sin could ever pay me. Make sense? Paul has asked several times now, should we sin? And my question is, is there any benefit to sin? Why would you sin? No, there's no benefit to sin. No benefit whatsoever to sin. Sin pollutes the righteousness and the holiness of God in our lives. And for that reason, I will happily be a slave to God. Does that make sense? I, I will surrender my sin-filled self to him so that I can be a slave to all that is good in a righteous, holy, and eternal God. You have been listening to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. on Main Street in Farmington, New Mexico. If you'd like more information, please visit our website at desertheightschurch.com.